to you from the 989th day of Trump's America. This is Smart Women Watch. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about Netflix's The Politician. So this is a podcast where two sisters are going to be talking about all of the things that we watch and listen to and read. Lindsay, are you the younger sister or are you the older sister? (laughs) I'm the younger sister. (laughs) Oh, I guess that makes me the older sister. (laughs) We also have a middle sister in question here. And we hope to be able to get her on the podcast someday. Yeah, because you will love her. She is, I would say, a little bit different than our personalities. Yeah. But fantastic. Yeah, she's also a smart woman. Um, And we'll bring a whole new perspective (laughs) once we get here on here um, someday. So things to look forward to. But like Laura said, today we're going to be talking about the first three episodes of The Politician which is the new Ryan Murphy series on Netflix, just dropped about a week and a half ago. So it's something that people are talking about now. I've been reading, it hasn't been getting great critic reviews. I've been seeing a pretty mixed bag. Some of my favorite critics have given it a lesser review than some critics that I am not as familiar with. I don't know who your favorite critics are, Lindsay, but I like Alan Seppenwall. I like Daniel Feinberg. I like Emily Nassbaum. These are the people that I go to, and they weren't super impressed with The Politician. Yeah. I don't have a favorite critic. (laughs) Seriously? Not even Alan Seppenwall? I like Alan Seppenwall. Okay, then you have a favorite critic. I suppose. I don't think I have a favorite critic. Okay, but as us, as the critics, what are your initial reactions Hmm. to the first three episodes of The Politician in, like, one sentence. How um, are you feeling about it? In one sentence, I will say Ryan Murphy at his peak Ryan Murphyist. This was just pure plot, pure melodrama. I mean, within the first three episodes, we got an insane number of plot points that we will go into. But to me, this read as Ryan Murphy up there with his most Ryan Murphyist. Um, and in a way where he's not necessarily hitting like some of his emotional high points, like pose for instance he's you know really on the emotional level i felt like this is more like glee where we're sort of all over the place with the characters and that we're really heavy on the melodrama what did you think Lindsay? um so i haven't watched pose i do think it has a lot of airs of glee obviously because it's attached to high school students the same way that glee was but i think it has toned down some of the wonkiness of glee in a positive way. So I watched Glee probably for the first five or six seasons. And, you know, I am a performing arts kid. So I really, I was like very much on the Glee bandwagon. Um, But I think that the politician does it better because I do think there's a lot of social commentary in the politician that is smart and that is clever. But I think he's coupled that with like Wes Anderson vibes. Mm. Um, And I think like being in Trump's America, We are getting a lot of like interesting commentary for what's going on today. And I also think he lost some of the shock value of like American Horror Story, which I, I I think I stomached about six seasons of American Horror Story before I decided I do not do this to myself anymore. You got through more of that than me. How many did you watch? I think three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it has, like, I think his cinematography here is just at peak Ryan Murphy performance. And I still think he has some of those, like, wonky vibes that we loved about Glee. But I think that he is sometimes saying more here while also doing 
more with his cinematography, with his colors, um, with his characters. Now, I am not sure that the emotions have always are, are hitting exactly where they're supposed to for me. I don't know how emotionally connected I am to the character, but I am loving the melodrama in sort of a soap opera-esque way. I'm very attached to knowing what's going to happen next in the story. Yes. Well, where we ended at the end of season, at the end of episode three, there was definitely a um, cliffhanger. So yes, yeah. I agree that we definitely want to know what happens next. But back to Glee, would you say that Peyton is similar to Rachel Berry? Huh. Yes, in some ways. I mean, they're both ambition-driven. They're both very motivated, sort of high-strung type A types of students. But I think Rachel Berry is a character that we're really designed to, at the end of the day, be rooting for, even if we're rolling our eyes at her. Now, Peyton, I think our role as the viewer is to question Peyton the same way that he's questioning himself. We see it a lot in the first three episodes. Peyton is constantly being like, am I a good person? Am I a sociopath? Should I be a better person? Is who I am okay? And I think those are all valid questions and I'm not really sure how I feel about them in regards to Peyton. But Rachel Berry, I think, was definitely more on the side of good. And I think Peyton is more of a gray character. What do you think? I think that's fair. I also think we see Peyton asking a lot of other characters, are you a good person? And do I think you're a good person? Um, specifically around some of his high school friends. Um, but yes, I agree that Rachel Berry was given a little bit more humanity to start the season, at, at least. Yeah. Right now, Peyton doesn't quite have that humanity behind him. I mean, we open up the season with the theme song being making him into a real boy. Yeah, what do you think of the theme song? Um, well, I... Into a real boy, like Pinocchio. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Um, they're taking, you know, they're infusing him with the stuff of his past, the stuff of his future, and they're chipping him away into a real boy. I thought the theme song was very well done. I think Ben Platt is amazing. I think that look he gives the camera at the end of the theme song. When he comes alive. Yes. And he like literally fingers. looks like a robot. And I don't know what they are doing on screen to give that robot effect. But it was like some wackadoo combination of Pinocchio and Westworld. And yeah. uh, for a Ryan Murphy real throwback, Nip Tuck. Like it really was. I, I really enjoyed the theme song. Um. Can I tell you what my favorite thing was in the box? Obviously. That is Peyton. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of stopping and starting watching the theme song to <laughs> see all of the things in the box. And my favorite thing is there was a tarot card in there. But it was a tarot card of a man with four arms. And one arm is holding the halo over his head. One arm is playing the fiddle, or two arms are playing the fiddle. And then one is holding a knife and stabbing himself in the gut. And it's called La Vitima. And I Googled that, and that is Latin for victim. And I thought it was so clever. So this is about playing the victim card and how to be a politician. And some of the things that make up Peyton are this ability to play the victim card. Oh, yeah. That tarot card is playing the world's smallest violin yeah. for himself. While being an angel but yes. killing himself. Exactly. Like being Falling a on his sword yeah. is, I believe, the phrase. Yes, absolutely. What else was in there of interest? Um, I thought one of the most interesting things was the participant trophy that is chopped in half. As we all know, the media loves to call out millennials for participation trophies. Mm. Who gave us those participation trophies? Exactly. 
Exactly. And I, I will note that um, Ben Platt's character, Peyton, is not supposed to be a millennial. I believe he's supposed to be Gen Z at this point. Oh, yeah. But, I guess you're right. Yeah. So I, ben I think Platt himself just yeah. happens to be a millennial. Exactly. Um, I also really loved the um, Crying Crocodile for Crocodile Tears. I thought mm. that was great. Um, a couple other things I thought were very cool were the um, onion, which obviously represents layers. Yes, you know? have layers. Yes, he has layers. Um, we've got all the St. Sebastian medals. We've got the three bullets, which through three episodes, I am not sure who those three bullets are meant for, um, but it feels to me like that is something that we're setting up later, Chekhov's three bullets. Um, Interesting. Yeah, just a thought. I, I think the biggest laugh out loud moment of the um, inside of Ben Platt's body is the presidential books. So we've got <laughs> we've got some presidents who are our two term presidents. We've got Reagan, we've got Clinton, we've got Bush Jr., and we've got Obama. And then the last book is um, an idiot's guide to clowning, which I think is the perfect metaphor for oh, our yeah. current president. Um, so I think that is is great and really like underlies Ryan Murphy's sense of humor. Also, his report card that has straight A's except for Mandarin two, um, where he has a D minus. Yeah, and <laughs> do you know what he got A's and A pluses in? Um, no, I don't remember. Okay, so he got A's in American law, abnormal psych, AP intersectional fluidity, and politicizing Beyonce. <laughs> He got A pluses in the history of modern sexuality and religious studies, and then of course his D in Mandarin. Wow. Uh huh. So that Ryan is a, Murphy, clever, it clever. Is a great report card. Also the will in there. Yeah, the last will and testament. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. You know, using his father's money to the best of his ability. Yeah. So, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that a lot, and I also happen to like um, Sufjan Stevens. Uh, the song Chicago is the theme song there which is a song I love and I think is a great mood setter. However, I don't see in any way that it like connects to the show. The show is not about Chicago, but I think it has a good feel to it. Yes, it's the, the show. it's really a good mood setter for the show, yeah. which is kind of a little crazy that a show with this much melodrama in it can start with this upbeat, you know, positive theme song, but it works. Yeah. So then we enter the show with our which the politician is based around high school student Ben Platt who is Peyton and Peyton is running for political office in his high school he's running for the president of his high school um, but his ambitions are set much higher he would like to someday be the president and that is what at least our first three episodes are based off of here is Peyton's political campaign Um, Peyton also comes from super opulent wealth and so do a lot of the characters almost all of the characters that we're really getting to know of our high school students here just come from like incredible wealth and privilege many of them are white and they make it very clear from the jump of the social class of a lot of these characters i do think though that they are and (laughs) i could be wrong because i do not come from generational wealth Lindsay, do you (laughs) (laughs) no yeah um but i think they are trying to make it very clear that peyton is a step above most of the other characters oh that's interesting i mean even astrid yes even astrid i think like even just seeing like the inside of astrid's house or the inside of river's house you see like peyton just walks right up the front steps and there is the house Peyton doesn't live in a house where you can just walk up the front steps. That's true. Peyton lives in a grand estate on numerous acres worth of land. So I think the point is that these kids are very wealthy, but Peyton's level of wealth is in a tier of its own. Yeah. 
And then so we get this really interesting introduction to Peyton in his uh, conversation or interview that he's having with somebody at Harvard. Um, so he's having this preliminary conversation and he wants to go to Harvard because Harvard has a school that has produced the most presidents. And he it's is... in his master plan. Yeah, it's in his master plan. So he is talking to this Harvard representative about why he wants to go there. And the Harvard representative is essentially questioning his authenticity. How do you think authenticity runs throughout as a theme for these first three episodes? I think authenticity is the biggest theme. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely do. I literally made a chart of the level of people's authenticity. That's funny. Yeah. Can, did you give them numbers? So I plotted. <laughs> Do you have it? Can you show me? Um, what I did is I plotted authenticity against ambition oh. because I thought it was so funny. For instance, I think, and you can tell me, maybe you think I'm wrong, but I think Peyton is very inauthentic, but he's very sincere. Like he really I believe that he actually wants to do good. He also wants to get where he wants to get. Right. And I think that is his defining characteristic. But on the way, he is actually trying to do good. So I think he is this sincere character who just is so sincere that he comes off as inauthentic. Mm. Whereas I think a character like River is very sincere and very authentic at the same time. And then you get into people like the twins, who I think are very authentic, but horribly insincere. And then you get down to someone like Astrid, who I think is very insincere and very inauthentic. Yeah. And I do think the way that those two characteristics intersect with each other comes out to your level of ambition. So I think the fact that Peyton comes across as so thirsty and like so prepared and wants this so bad is because he has this level of sincere inauthenticity. And I just think inauthenticity runs through the show in so many ways. I think in every episode, in every scene, we're seeing it. So at the very beginning of the show, mm -hmm. Ryan Murphy throws up. Also, we should mention, it's not just Ryan Murphy who creates the show. It's his two co-creators, um, Brennan and Falchuk, who do a lot of projects with Ryan Murphy. And the three of them really, I believe they get writing, directing, and producing credits, all three of them, for a, a large chunk of this. Yeah. So just want to yes. acknowledge this is not just a Ryan Murphy show. But And I assume that's how they got Gwyneth Paltrow, right? They got Gwyneth Paltrow on this show because she's married to Brad Falchuk. Oh, that would make sense. I mean, that would make good sense. I mean, I'm sh yeah. not that I'm sure Gwen Paltrow doesn't have time to be running around doing Ryan Murphy shows, but my thought is that her husband is like, hey, can you do me this solid? And, and you'll wear really cool costumes. Exactly. Um, but so at the beginning of this episode, they throw up a disclaimer, um, which is not something we see super commonly. Can you read the disclaimer? I can. The disclaimer for um, The Politician reads as, The Politician is a comedy about moxie, ambition, and getting what you want at all costs. But for those who struggle with their mental health, some elements may be disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. So Ryan Murphy is saying this is a show about moxie and ambition. You think it's more a show about authenticity? I absolutely do. I, I like think, that. and I don't know who wrote the disclaimer. It could have been Netflix who wrote the disclaimer, for all I know. But at least through these three episodes, I don't think this is a show about ambition. I think it's a show about the level of authenticity that lives in a person and how that then gets transcribed out to other people and how other people react to that in you. Yeah. Yeah, because so you mentioned we have the character of River. Yep. Who is just 
so likable because of that authenticity and that sincerity. So that's really well put. Exactly. And the first scene after the opening credits is River and Astrid having bad sex. (laughs) I don't know if it's bad sex or not. Um, Fake sex. Fake sex. And River actually says to Astrid that this is not what he wants. And Astrid, I, I just thought it was so striking, I actually wrote it down. Astrid said, I will do better at appearing more authentic from now on. And River said, I don't want you to appear authentic. I want you to be authentic. And Astrid says, I don't understand. What's the difference? I promise to be more real from now on. So right off the bat, all River is asking for in his life is that people react to him with the same way he reacts to them, which is intrinsically himself. I think he is giving intrinsically himself to the people around him and almost seems shocked at this idea that that is not how the world operates. Yeah. So very quickly after that, we realize that River also has, so he has this relationship with um, Astrid, who is his girlfriend, and he also has a relationship as something unclear, but more than friends with Peyton. And then River commits suicide. So that happens very quickly in the beginning of the episode. And obviously that, I think, has something to do with the um, the disclaimer that is shown at the beginning of this. So how do you think this ties into, right, because it definitely makes me think of 13 Reasons Why. For sure. Which is a show about suicide. So here now we are getting another of, um, like, another disclaimer at the beginning of a Netflix show. And we know 13 Reasons Why has gotten a lot of different responses that's a show about suicide. And now we have our one of our main characters here commits suicide within the first 15 minutes of the show. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know Netflix took a lot of flack for 13 Reasons Why. And well if, deserved, and in if, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, very quietly, they went and edited up those scenes so that they weren't quite so graphic, the scene right. where the main character in 13 Reasons Why actually dies by suicide. And I do think that the viewer warning at the top is important. I don't know if it's enough. Um, I do think Ryan Murphy goes out of his way to make this episode not about suicide in general. For instance, River suicide is not actually shown on screen. They cut away. Um, Although there are a couple of suicide attempts in the first two episodes that are not cut away from, that are very clearly described. I don't know. Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, what's interesting here is that River's suicide in the first episode is treated with a lot of reverence. Um, They're sensitive about cutting away from when he actually commits suicide. And then there's a memorial service. There's like these really touching moments that follow the suicide um even the moment where he's speaking about his attempted suicide oh yeah yeah and like that goes back to like the sincerity and the authenticity and his vulnerability i think is what makes river such a lovely character and makes the other characters connect with him um but i think it's interesting then contrasting that you get you know you get ben platt singing the Joni mitchell song river which is just beautifully (laughs) oh so beautifully and like uh, yes they they were gonna have to put ben platt singing if you cast ben platt you're gonna have him sing on your show um but this was i think like a a good authentic way to do it now that being said once we start talking about episode two it's a contrast there's a suicide attempt in episode two that i think is like grossly contrasted with the treatment that River as like a young lovely man who commits suicide he gets treated a certain way with his suicide 
Whereas in episode two, we have Peyton's father, who is an older man who is sort of a secondary um, comedic character. Um, and the way that his suicide attempt is treated is very different. It's treated as a joke. Yeah. Um, it's treated more as a way to introduce a piece of furniture than it is treated as a serious attempt by this man to take his own life. Yeah. Um, it's also treated as a joke in the way that Gwyneth Paltrow continually comes back to the fact that people have loved her so deeply that she has caused four um, people who she has broken up with to throw themselves off of buildings. Right. Which is... I just don't know if in 2019 this is what we should be joking about. And I know Ryan Murphy has a certain sensibility to his humor, um, and that's just intrinsically what you're getting out of him. But without the emotional depth behind it, and like you said, especially in contrast to the emotional depth that we got from Rivers' both attempt and subsequent suicide, it's very jarring, and it's very Royal Tenenbaums-esque. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of Peyton's family. So we do get introduced to Gwyneth Paltrow, who is his mother, the character of Georgina. Um, And we also get introduced in the most hilarious way to um, Martin and Luther, who are his brothers. They are twins. Um, And their introduction is they are standing shirtless by the side of the pool, and they are shooting bow and arrows at a... um, Uh, like a plastic deer that is across the pool and talking about the girls they want to have sex with and then they give each other high fives and jump into the pool together. Tell me, the shooting the the crossbows at the um, faux deer, did that not remind you of the Trump kids? Because all I could see was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with Don Jr. and Eric and their big games and holding them up. And oh my God, I just lost it. I thought the introduction to them was so great. I was actually thinking Joffrey. Joffrey Baratheon oh, with like his I crossbow. Didn't go there, but that's great. Yeah, and I was wondering, is this our introduction to sociopaths? Like the way that they are just talking about women completely as objects and that they are just like hunting deer in their oh, like a bag of bison. <laughs> yeah, and they're like super like opulent backyard next to their bougie pool as um, they're contrasted with um, Peyton, who's like sitting near the pool, reading a book about Nixon, maybe? Uh, yeah, I believe it was I think he's reading a Nixon yep. book. And Gwyneth Paltrow is doing like a beautiful piece of artwork that will um, help, the proceeds will help to fund the Syrian war debt. So I think it was just like an interesting contrast of their introduction. And my initial thought was like, okay, so these are our sociopath characters. Now where I think this gets a little more interesting is I have thought more about that. And I don't know if these are our sociopath characters or if like Peyton is actually more of our sociopath character. And I think we get like an interesting contrast between the two sets of brothers. of Martin and Luther, the twins who are not bright and are not kind, um, but like you said, are very authentic to themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we have Peyton who is kind and is trying to be a good person, but really doesn't know who he is yet as a person. So interesting, interesting juxtaposition. I really don't believe you can be a sociopath if you're asking yourself the question, am I a sociopath? I really believe, maybe not half, but part of being a good person is having the ability to intrinsically look in at yourself and 
question that about yourself and say, am I making the right decisions? And just by the fact that Peyton is asking these questions and his insane twin brothers are not, I think it's pretty obvious who the sociopaths are here. Yeah. I don't know if I think Martin and Luther actually are sociopaths, but I take your point. And I also think that like we hear Peyton ask himself those questions out loud constantly. Like in this Throughout episode. The whole show. Yeah. After River commits suicide and Peyton stumbles home and he's sitting in his bed and his mother comes and joins him and he says, why aren't I crying? And I think so already then we're starting to get that look as Peyton of realizing his own moral grayness that he is like could be somebody who is morally gray and he doesn't know if he's a good person but he wants to be and he feels like he should be and I feel like after River's suicide is the first time that we're getting some of that and then it's interesting because Peyton transitions um you know River suicide where then he performs at River's memorial service and sings the beautiful aforementioned Joni Mitchell song which I will say is very authentic very authentic but mm-hmm. then transitions it into like continue his campaign and I as a very viewer authentic. yes I as a viewer was definitely thinking like okay a student has just committed suicide who's running for elected office to me like the election stops or I, I don't know that there is more thought here now about people caring less about this election but it really just seems to hype up Peyton's ambition more he sees a door opening here by the death of River who was an amazing candidate who probably would have beat him but now River is dead and Peyton now sees this as an opportunity to win his campaign Yeah, Peyton's always looking on the bright side here because remember, River is someone who meant a lot to him. (laughs) So River is someone who meant a lot to him and Peyton has, I don't want to say moved on because I don't really believe through the first three episodes that Peyton has moved on from River's death at all. But he certainly is willing to capitalize on the fact that he is no longer standing there in front of him, debating with him. Right. Um, But is it really Peyton in that scene who you think is capitalizing on this? No, it's Ashton. Okay, thank you. (laughs) I mean, I think it's Peyton in part, too. I think it's both of them. But yeah, no, Astrid, absolutely, who steps in and then fills in River's shoes of being the new presidential candidate in the wake of River and basically says, if you want to honor River's memory, you will vote for me instead. And that's where I stand up and say, inauthentic and insincere, Astrid, (laughs) through three episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, but let's talk about, we haven't mentioned yet, one of our other biggest characters, um, Infinity Jackson. Ah, Infinity and her Nana. And her, her Nana. Nana Dusty. Jessica Lang, because you knew Ryan Murphy wasn't going to have a show without Jessica Lang in it. Okay, can we talk about Jessica Lang first? Because I almost feel like Jessica Lang is now a character on Ryan Murphy's shows. Like, yeah. is there anything more meta than Jessica Lang? playing a Jessica Lange-type character Perhaps on Ryan Murphy's shows. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh! Playing <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter-type character in a Tim Burton movie. That, but, that. yeah. Um, okay, but, Lindsay, tell us about Infinity. So, our introduction to Infinity and her Nana takes place at Olive Garden. And Nana wants to get in for Olive Garden. And I think this is a good PSA that we all should make reservations before we go to Olive Garden because they cannot get in for the Olive Garden lunch menu and all they want is, uh, you know, unlimited breadsticks. Now, they live in Santa Barbara too, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is Olive Garden in Santa Barbara that popular? Don't know. Because I know in northern New Jersey where we live, you don't need a reservation to get into an Olive Garden. Certainly not. <laughs> so obviously here, this is the point where Nana leverages Infinity's illness. Infinity does have cancer. Um, she has a shaved head. She's in a wheelchair. Um, and Nana starts to leverage her illness to make sure they get a table at Olive Garden. And this was, I think, one of the interesting things Ryan Murphy does is like this introduction to social class based on food and how people get their food. So here we have Nana Infinity who come from what I perceive to be a lower socioeconomic background and they're aspiring to eat at Olive Garden. It is a big deal for them to have a day out eating at Olive Garden, which is something I think that in the U.S. we think of as like a very middle class restaurant. So I think this is one of the first ways we get food as a method of of displaying social class and i think we get that again later on in the episode when we go to alice's house we'll talk about alice later and her bonkers dining room yeah her dining room table is they're sitting at like a i don't know like a 30 foot dining room table where they sit on opposite ends and are clearly served by like household help with a life-size polar bear in the corner lunging over them as they're eating. Yeah, so here we have Infinity and Nana who are just trying to get like their unlimited breadsticks at Olive Garden. And I think this was a good way for Ryan Murphy to introduce class to us, um, socioeconomic class. And this is what we get throughout the whole series is they use the food that people are eating and the way in which the meals are served to them um, as a method of conveying that message. I agree with you to an extent, but I read... Nana and Infinity at Olive Garden actually a little bit differently. I read that as this is how entitled this woman feels is that she can walk in and she should just be able to be seated immediately because of her granddaughter with cancer. So I did not read it as this is what she's aspiring to. I read it as this is what she feels entitled to. Yeah, but she's not going to the Ritz to try to get seated like she's not going to like a fancy place she wants her unlimited breadsticks at olive garden like this was a big treat for them that's fair i just didn't read that as the defining characteristic of that scene to me oh yeah it was nana leveraging her exactly her granddaughter's illness to get her what she wanted nana deserves to eat at the olive garden she sure does her unlimited breadsticks what do you think of infinity so infinity She is quite a character, isn't she? So we get introduced to her actually before the Olive Garden scene. Um, She and Peyton meet and Peyton extends the offer for her to be his vice presidential candidate, which is funny. In my high school, I don't remember having running mates on top of the ticket, but whatever. I actually ran for student government president in high school. I lost... But I did not have a running date. <laughs> that was not a thing. Clearly you picked the wrong person. Though. And if I did, I would have just like picked my best friend as opposing to like picking somebody who was on a completely like opposite side of the social spectrum from me. So Peyton, more strategic than me. <laughs> well, Infinity turns him down, I believe it's twice before she finally accepts the offer to be his running mate. Um, but in doing so, she comes across as very firm, um, you know, a sick young girl, but very firm in her morals that she does not want to be used for any sort of political gain, even if that political gain is just to be president of your high school class. 
So before you get introduced to her grandmother, you see her as this strong woman, I think. And then you see her in combination with her grandmother. And it's very clear um, who runs that relationship. Her grandmother walks all over this poor girl. I love the actress who plays Infinity. Do you? I love her. I think she's so charming. Really? Do yes. you know her from something else? No. Oh, okay. No, I just think she's so charming in this role. And I think that, like you said, this is a character who almost has this, like, childlike personality where you're not sure if she's just childlike or if she's childish. Truth. And she is the only character in high school that looks like she could actually be in high school. Yes. And maybe that has to do with the fact that they have, you know, made her look obviously a little more sick and they've given her that sort of makeup. But my God, she's the only one who I actually believe could be in high school. Yeah. And she's really one of our only um, like lower middle class characters that we get. Most of the other characters that we're dealing with are very rich, such as the rest of um, Peyton's staff. Oh, Peyton's dream team. (laughs) Tell us about Peyton's dream team. Okay, so Peyton's dream team is McAfee, who seems like the, the political strategist behind his campaigns. We've got James, who is the numbers guy. He's the one who's always ready. He's the Nate Silver of the group. He's always ready with the polling numbers. And then there is Alice, who is his girlfriend, And a steadfast girlfriend she is. She is on his side. What do you think about the dream team? I think that I love that Alice um, vapes from like a gold-plated vape. (laughs) While wearing her pearls. Yes. (laughs) I love Alice. I also really enjoy the actress who plays Alice. I think the way that she speaks so languidly and the way that she always has her hands folded over her lap and just like the look of her eyebrows, just like her whole look really makes me think of like a first lady in the 1960s oh she is a throwback for sure oh yeah just even the words that she uses she's not dieting she's reducing yes Uh uh-huh like i just think she is an absolutely hilarious character and team her up with mcafee and james and i think this is like a really cool team and i i think it's also cool to see in mcafee and alice that we have characters who are Women who are poised and who are smart and who are ambitious. So even though they're not the name on the ticket like Peyton is, it's cool to see us have such like smart, savvy women characters. Would you say they are authentic? How about Alice? Do you think Alice has any authenticity in her? I don't know. I want to say yes. I want to say to me, like, this is who Alice is. Um, But but no, I, I mean, I think like, a lot of what she does and the plan that Alice comes up with that um, in order to boost Peyton's numbers in the polls, that they would stage this breakup that makes Peyton play the victim card and look really sympathetic. So no, from that perspective, I think like Alice is not super authentic because they are literally manufacturing things in their lives in order to have Peyton win this election. And how heartbreaking was it when Peyton did not look back at her? All she asked was that when they walk by each other in the hallway after this breakup has been staged, that he just gives her one look back. And can Peyton do that? No, Peyton cannot. Peyton can move on very quickly. See, I didn't think it was that heartbreaking. Really? Yeah. So the this look is, on her face. <laughs> this is where I think like a lot of these things of 
I'm really entertained by the drama of this show, but like that didn't emotionally connect to me. Oh, like their fake breakup didn't follow all of its fake breakup rules. And is she sad? Is she fake sad? Are they real broken up? Um, I don't I don't know. Like that didn't hit me emotionally. Okay, well, let's talk about then Alice and James. Does that hit you emotionally? No. It didn't hit me emotionally. Me neither. I also thought it was interesting that Alice completely disappeared from episode two. I actually thought that with Peyton not looking back at her, that what that signified was that the breakup was real. That Peyton was really like done with this situation and was using this as leverages in his campaign and wanted it to be a real thing. And then she didn't show up again in episode two. So I kind of thought that was the end of Alice here. I'm really glad Alice comes back for episode three. In a great way. Yeah, yeah, in a great way. I do think, though, that whether you think they were done with the relationship, Peyton was still plotting out in his head that Alice was his first lady. So I don't think Peyton was entirely done with Alice at that point. Because on um, Peyton's great metaphor of the train with the conductor on the tracks, the tracks still had Alice being the first lady. Mm-hmm. I think that was still the plan. Okay, so do you think Alice is a beard? <sighs> beard is the wrong word because I don't think Peyton is necessarily gay. And I think you have to be fully gay to have a beard. And maybe that's an incorrect assumption on my part. But So I don't really see her as a beard because I see Peyton's sexuality as fairly fluid, but I do see him using her in that way because that is what he really believes. He really believes you needed to be president of your high school class. You needed to go to Harvard. Uh, He's got another X, Y, and Z that he has to do to become president. And And one of of those things is to marry your high school sweetheart, whether you are in love with her or not. Now, I'm not saying Peyton doesn't love Alice in a way because I do think he does I think he respects her I think he loves her although I did think he could just have looked back at her after the breakup like I didn't think that was that hard of an ask but I think beard is the wrong word but I do think he is feeling enough pressure that he could not be say in a relationship with a man at this point in his life Mm. Yeah, so that's one of the most interesting things here that I think um, the creators of this show have done in regards to sexuality. So I think we have, it's a gay show. We have a lot of characters. So much queerness on this show. Yeah, Mm -hmm. who are bi, who are sexually fluid. We have a trans character. And what I think is really cool is that there's no acknowledgement of it. It's just, it is treated in a lot of ways, as if it is the norm. And it's sort of, to me, it felt a little bit like Ryan Murphy is trying to create this utopian world where in the future, things like Ben Platt and River being together can be something that's normal. And things like having a trans character who is ambitious and smart and savvy is normal and it doesn't have to be connected to his identity of being trans it's just commonplace that these folks are so much more than what their sexuality is that they have all these different um you know amazing complex elements to them and that that can be completely separate from their sexuality which is just you know doesn't have to have attention drawn to it 
No, and I think that's great. I think, and that is Ryan Murphy's MO. I mean, really, look at a show like Pose. Could that show have been on the air 10 years ago? Probably not. And Ryan Murphy has worked in his work to get to this point where, like you said, you can have a trans character whose storyline has nothing to do with him being trans. It has nothing to do with that. He just is. It just is a fact. And that is amazing. And that is what stands out to me, making this plotline about Peyton needing, and again, for lack of a better term, because we just discussed that I don't think beard is exactly the correct term, but needing a first lady makes that seem so much more backwards in a story where Ryan Murphy is so building this great utopian queer world. So I don't understand then why, especially in a day and age where we have Mayor Pete running on a major ticket to be president of the United States, Like, why we need this aspect of Peyton's life. Why he needs to feel this repression. Yeah, and I think that's, you're right, it's completely tied into his ambition of he's feeling like, this is what a president should look like. And one of the things is a Harvard degree, and one of the things is, like, a prim, polished woman to be his first lady in Pearl. Exactly, but if we really want to have that um, LGBTQ utopia, then we need that thought to not be his thought right so it's one of these things ryan murphy has built this great world but there's this one main sticking point that i can't get past yeah well also i think like ryan murphy hasn't always i don't know like i think back to some of the american horror stories and there's one season um, asylum maybe where like uh, sarah paulson's character is a lesbian woman and she then has to go get like gay conversion therapy. Oh. Um Ooh. Yeah. So there's just a lot of things where I think like Ryan Murphy, when he was going for his shock value in a lot of his American horror story bits, has used like being queer as queer people are punished in this world, um, which is also an important thing to think about and the history of what queer folks have gone through in this world. But at the same time here, I think it's really refreshing to just say these things are normal. So I don't think that has always been Ryan Murphy's MO, but I'm glad that that's a decision he's starting to make um, here to be like, I'm going to try to build this utopia and hope that you all can a little bit model your behavior after it. And I thought it was so cool. I think one of the ways that was introduced was um, he uh, when Peyton is talking to Gwyneth Paltrow before um, River comes in to be his Mandarin tutor. And Peyton says, oh, he's dating that girl, Astrid. She called me a fag in second grade. And I'm not even gay. And I'm not even gay. And Gwyneth Paltrow's like, oh. (laughs) And like she clearly thought her son was gay and didn't care either way. Um, And I think that was like a good introduction to it of like this is the way that a parent should feel about like, oh, maybe he's gay, maybe he's not, but I don't care. Um, And I I think that is sort of the way that sexuality is treated in this show. Now, that being said, you're right. I think a lot of Peyton's ambition then comes into play here with he cares a lot about how he's perceived to others because he's a politician. He wants to win this vote and he cares about his perception. And he still has the realization that even though maybe he is more comfortable with his sexual fluidity, he can recognize that other people might not be. And those are voters. Yeah, I would just like to see until we have that coming out moment in our society where it really doesn't, where Peyton doesn't see it as that it matters to his voters. Yeah. That is where we will really get to, you know, 
the point in time where we can say people are being treated equally across the spectrum. So Ryan Murphy is on the road to creating a utopia, but he has left a little bit of realism ding, in ding, there ding. for us. Ding, ding, ding. Not yeah. quite there yet. So we're also introduced here to one of our most interesting characters in the show, Sky Layton, who comes in as River's running mate for vice president and then later goes on to be Astrid's running mate. So Sky is a gender non-binary student who is also a person of color. And Sky is introduced to us in the best way. She speaks her mind. She tells it like it is. I think she comes off as one of the most authentic characters on the show. Oh yeah. Up until the point where she's literally talking about murdering someone yeah. and getting mad at Astrid, who is now her running mate, that Astrid doesn't really want to think about that notion. That's not something that Astrid is prepared to do at the moment. Um, but so at that point, I don't know, Sky becomes a little bit more a bit of a wild card. But in general, I think Sky comes off as very positive on the show. Yes. And just to make it clear, we're using she, her pronouns because that is those are the pronouns that Sky uses on the show, um, even though she does identify as gender non-binary. But yeah, I think Sky's a really interesting character. And I think Sky is somebody that comes in as you know, she's got a lot of bite to her. And she's the character that you're always rooting for as like the the social justice warrior who you would love to see in politics, but is very juxtaposed to a character like Peyton, who is all like gloss and robotic to be a likable candidate. Right. Where Sky doesn't care about being likable. Sky cares about like getting to the heart of the issues here. So is Sky our AOC? I think Sky might be our AOC, right? And then, like, there's almost an element of, like, is Ben Platt our Hillary? I think so, with that thirst. That's, you know, at least that's how we talked about Hillary for so many years. She wants it so bad. Like, and that was her main characteristic. Yeah. And I think that's Peyton's main characteristic as well. He wants it more than he wants anything. Right. And Sky is a little bit like our AOC where she comes out fighting and she comes out saying the things that we are all saying that like politicians are usually too scared to say because they then are scared of not getting elected. Um, and Sky is somebody who's like not thinking about diplomacy, but just thinking about um, what the people need. Now, like you said, Sky's character then verges like far off the rails because by episode three, we have Sky suggesting that Peyton should be assassinated. And she is not <laughs> suggesting this as a joke, folks. <laughs> she is suggesting this in a way where she believes in her cause. Right. <laughs> Just right. like she said. She says it like she means it. And this is what she means. So <laughs> I think that puts Sky in a list of characters that I am very excited to watch in the back half of this show. Yeah. Um, and could go in any possible way. Yeah, could become the most likable, most interesting character and could also be the character who like spins the furthest off of the rails um, as a person that you're initially really rooting for and then saying, oh God, what if they are making choices that are going to just blow up their whole character arc and completely ruin people's lives. And with Ryan Murphy's um, tendency towards melodrama, that is something I could see in the future. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Also, like, kind of an interesting choice to make one of the only people of color on the show into, like, the violent person. The militant person. Yeah, Mm. about the person who's, like, truly contemplating, like, 
committing a violent act. Well, I do think we have some other characters who are committing a violent act. We do. So yeah. maybe we should pivot to them for okay. a second. All right. So that's that's. Let's get to that in episode two. So so Peyton or uh, Sky is introduced as the VP candidate, and then. Um, Infinity is introduced as the VP candidate for Peyton. And right after Peyton makes that very happy announcement about Infinity as his running mate, Andrew. In conjunction with, he's, he's, um, he reaches out to Infinity specifically because Sky is the person on the ticket for the other side. So we right. just want to point that out. Right. That this is where he As a went. direct result. Exactly. Yeah. He he was looking for someone to tick off some affinity boxes that he did not have in the same way that Sky ticked those boxes off for River. Right. So then what happens next after he announces Infinity? So basically as soon as he announces Infinity, he hears from Andrew, who he had actually approached earlier in the episode. And Andrew is a character with cerebral palsy. Um, he hears from Andrew that um, Infinity has been faking her illness for all these years. And there's a bit of a mic drop at that moment because obviously that is not what any candidate wants to hear after they have just announced their running mate. Solid cliffhanger. Very solid cliffhanger. Yeah. I immediately went to episode two. So how did you feel about the first episode overall? Um, Overall, I'm not sure that I can differentiate it in any way than episodes two and three. This mm. is something, I watched them all back to back and they ran together for me in its entirety. Um, I do think that it started a little cleaner for me. The river suicide, the genuine emotion around that suicide read in very stark contrast to me to the back half of the episode and then also episodes two and three where we get a lot less of that emotionality and we get heavy into the melodrama from here on out we are just plot 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 um and there's a lot less of the emotional element in it yeah how did you feel about episode one similarly i mean i liked the elements of melodrama as far as plot went i was into it um and i just think the cinematography was so stunning all of these wes anderson vibes that ryan murphy Mm. has going on throughout this whole show i just think are so beautiful and i i like his choice of actors i think that um even though this was like an older crew than is ever believable to be high school students um you know, I, I ended up really, like, coming around to that. The same way you do in Dawson's Creek. You just make peace with the fact exactly. that, like, that's... Joey Potter is, like, 30. <laughs> and it's fine. Um, and that's sort of how I felt by the end of it is I felt, um, yeah, I, I felt good about watching the next couple episodes. And that just about wraps up episode one of The Politician. So if you go right down to the next episode in our podcast feed, we'll be talking about episodes two and three of The Politician. I'm Laura. I'm Lindsay. And this is Smart Women Watch. Thanks for tuning in.